0: Well, thank you again for being here this morning, and now it's my pleasure to introduce to you one Mr. Mark Myers. He was, as I said earlier, amen, let's give him a round, please. He was one of my first Bible study teachers, Uh, been a friend for over 20 years, and a friend of pastors for well over 30. Amen. And uh, as I said, the first service, his son saved Pastor's life, so directly because of this man, we still have Pastor (laughs) Gary. And uh, that's the true story, I'm sure he might tell you. And then there's another one that I won't uh, st- I won't steal this time. Thanks, thank you, buddy. Okay, yes. Amen. Well, thank you all for coming today. In a good mood, please please be in a good mood. So, Pastor and I have been friends for well, when he moved here. Uh, this is when we met him. My wife and he were on staff together at a church. My wife was on staff there for probably 20 years. We left and went to another church. She was on staff there for another 20 years, and we've been here. She's not on staff. She's retired, like I am. And uh, we've been here for a little over two years. So it's been a pleasure coming here. Let me ask you a question. You have any idea what the last thing I did before I came up here? Pray. Probably what I should have done. I checked my zipper to make sure my zipper was up. Okay? <laughs> When you get my age, men, you know, right? I mean, my wife has this routine for me. If we're going out in public, she will say, okay, you got your phone, you got your glasses, you got your wallet, you got the keys, here's your zipper up. Okay, now we can leave. Some of you guys are nodding your heads. You know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Uh, but Pastor and I, we've been friends. We've gone on vacation together. Our families have gone on vacation together. We used to go to the Keys. And uh, literally one time when we were in Acosta, down here by, uh, by Boca Grande, uh, Alex mentioned it. Uh, Gary had a uh, sailboard. He had just got it. Well, let's just be honest. He found it somewhere, right? I mean, he, he found it somewhere. We're taking it out on the boat. We go out to Cayo He's out there trying to figure this thing out, and all of a sudden the current is taking him out to the Gulf of Mexico. He's 150 yards offshore now, trying to get in, trying to get in. My son was a teenager at the time. I said, Gary's struggling out there. And he swam out there and literally grabbed the sailboard and carried, or pulled, swam Gary back in. So that's a true story. He did. Gary says he saved his life. Uh, I have, you probably wonder why I'm walking around with this. We talk a lot here about the magnets, putting them on your car, right? we got the, 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 the hats that we can wear. And people might say, hey, that church, I see a lot of things about it. You know, can you tell me a little bit about it? Where's it at? So, if you go out into the parking lot, I've got a red car, and you won't find one of these on the back of it. Because I am not a very good driver. I kind of get aggressive sometimes, okay? So, I don't want people to say, oh, there's one of those people from Fellowship Church, and look how he's driving. But I can buy a hat for five bucks, walk into the store, okay, I've got my hat on, I can see it, I can smile look happy, be nice, hey, thank you, thank you for helping us. And they'll say, man, man, people from fellowship are so nice. One time I was driving, not to this church, this was probably 20 years ago, I used to go to church on uh, Pine Street, head to a Sunday night service, and a guy comes up behind me, and he's right on my bumper. So I'm thinking, okay, I need to speed up a little bit. I drive fast, I'm sorry, but I do. I drive fast, so I speed up a little bit, and next thing you know, he's right on my bumper again. So I get the bright idea, you know what, I'm just going to tap my brakes. So he knows I don't want him on my bumper. I tap my brakes and his front wheel goes off the road, back on the road. And I can see him in my rearview mirror. He is livid at me. The bad thing is, it's time for me to turn into my church. <laughs> I think, mean, well, that's not a very good testimony, is it? So I drove past the church. <laughs> I take a left. You know where I'm going now, right? I'm on Dearborn Street. There's the Methodist Church. I turned into the Methodist Church. <laughs> so, you won't see a bumper sticker. I've told Pastor, I'm sorry I won't, but I will wear a hat, and I'll be nice when I'm wearing it, all right? So, let me get this thing fired up here real quick. Make sure it still works. Battery's charged. Lesson's still there. Things are good. I want to thank Roger. He helped me out a ton, putting together a PowerPoint. Um, this goes back, this picture you're looking at goes back years. Um, I don't know why Pastor's smiling, because we're at a Buccaneers game. The Minnesota Vikings had just gotten beat, and my son and I, we're huge Buccaneer fans. But it was so crowded, we decided that we were going to like uh, tailgate a little longer afterwards and let the traffic get out of the parking lot. So we're sitting there, and we had our little grill going again. We're drinking our Coca-Colas, and everybody's walking by. Good game, good game. You know, and this one guy goes walking by, and he goes, go Bucks!" And we look at him, go Bucks!" He goes, hey, you guys want to smoke some dope? (laughs) And Pastor says, no, we're Christians. He goes, so am I. So, (laughs) So... That's a a true story, too. You remember last week, Terry told that great story about the ice cream and the driver's license and getting pulled over, and it was all story? These are true stories that I'm telling you today. That really happened. I have one more picture I want to show you, and that is, anybody have any idea? That's me on the swing, and who else? Who, Roger? That's Elise Clark. When she was like two years old, Look how high we are up on that swing. She's got the biggest smile on her face, and I just wanted to let her know that her and Mitchell both call me and my wife Uncle Mark and Aunt Lauren, and I want to speak for the congregation today. We are so excited for what's going to happen in Lisa's life now that she's engaged and going to get married. So as a church, we're going to stand with them and celebrate that. All right, let's get to the word. You mind if we start with a word of prayer? Let's do that. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for today, and I thank you so much for the friendship that I have with Pastor Gary and Kim, their girls, and Mitchell and Elise, and uh, Lord, what a privilege it is to be able to stand up here and speak your word to these great people. Lord, I think we would be remiss if today we didn't think of those folks in Miami at Surfside Condo. I have some dear friends that uh, they have friends that are missing, Ricky and Maria Teresa, and we just ask, Lord, for their family. That uh, Lord, you would comfort them during this time. Can't imagine the, the pain and the heartache that's taking place over there. So, Holy Spirit of God, we just ask that you would comfort in only a way that you can. Meet with us today, Lord. Help us to walk away from here, a little closer to you in our walk. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for coming. Please, I better take the hat off. You're not supposed to wear a hat in church, right? I said in the earlier service, I want one of those things Mitchell has, you know, like up here. I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> you either, right? All right. Okay. Uh, so I want to talk about a couple things today. Have you ever been sitting in church, maybe in a Bible study, or maybe doing your own Bible study, and you're reading the Word or hearing the Word, and all of a sudden, God just smacks you upside the head? And, say, you know, oh, I didn't realize that. It's like one of those to-do moments, right? We're going to talk about two of those, two of them that happen to my life, and uh, the first one is pretty easy to talk about. The second one is going to be more difficult, so <clears throat> I'll be honest with you, I've found that as I get older, I get more emotional. Is it, is it, am I the only older person or that, I mean, i would be watching a McDonald's commercial and start crying, right? <laughs> not, not that I want a milkshake that bad, but oh, that little kid and his dad, they're just there and they're having a great time, or my son's up in Georgia. Uh, you know, I've I just found that. So the second part of this message today is going to be really difficult for me because it's about a personal thing with me and my dad. And um, it was a struggle that I had to work through. And I found out after the first service that I wasn't the only person that had this struggle because several people came up to me and thanked me that I shared this passage of Scripture. But first, let's do the more lighter side for us. And that one has to do with the book, book of Jonah. I'm going to read a lot of scripture today, and there's a reason why I'm going to do that. I always thought when I came to church that everybody knew the scriptures, even stories like Jonah or Adam and Eve. One time we were at a family gathering, and my wife had on a shirt, and it had a picture of an apple with an apple with a bite taken out of it, and then underneath it, it said, my bad. Eve. Now, we all get that, right? Most of us get it because of Adam and Eve, and Eve took the bite out of the forbidden food, right? That, that was the story. But one of my nieces, who was a teenager at the time, came to my wife and said, um, Aunt Lauren, I don't get it. And she goes, oh, you know, the story of Adam and Eve in, in, in the Bible. And she goes, no, I've, I've never heard that story because she didn't go to church. So I'm going to read about Jonah today. I'm going to read the whole stinking chapter Okay? So, if you know it, don't close your eyes, you'll fall asleep. You know, look at me and smile, nod your head. You know, let me know that you're, you're, you're with me on this. Uh, I was, had the privilege one time of speaking in Ukraine, and you know how it is you have an interpreter, and you say like ten, five, ten words, and then you stop, and then they go, la 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 la. My little interpreter, she, she was so sweet. She was probably 17, 18 years old. This was back in 2007. And uh, I was in front of a crowd, of, uh, a group of people, and I said something about. And my wife's gonna get mad, but oh well. Uh, taking her out to lunch, I know I'm going to eat today. Um, but my, I, I said to my interpreter, I was trying to be funny, and I said something about me being. Sh- I, I said something about being short, fat, and bald. And she looked at me and she goes, "I can't say that."
1: I go, "No, it's okay,
0: Elena. It's all right." She goes, "No, no." I can't say that, Mark. I said, yes, Elaine, short, fat, and bald. She goes, but you're not short. I said, I said so I'm fat and bald. She was so embarrassed. Uh. All right, get back to the subject, Mark. Here we go. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Mittai. Go to that great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Because of its wickedness, has come uh, up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa. Pay attention to that. He went down to Joppa. I'm going to come back to that. Where he found a ship bound for the port. After paying the fare, so God's told him to do something, he decides he's not going to do it. And he's decided he's not going to do it so bad. He's willing to pay that he doesn't have to do it. He's paying the fare. He went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to their own God. And they threw cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Okay. You see that? Keys up there? Yeah, the keys. That's not in the scriptures, okay? That's a reminder for me to tell another funny story. Uh, well, at least I think it's funny. You might think, not think it's funny at all. But one time when we were in the Keys with Gary, our pastor, who I love, um, our families were vacationing together. We'd been going out getting lobster, and we would catch lobster, and then we would go back to the house. Gary had a little boat, like a little 15-foot boat, and we packed eight people into the boat. That's way too many with a 50 horsepower. And it didn't run real well anyway because um, Gary got a really good deal on the boat, if you know what I mean. But Gary got a good deal, but Gary had a boat. I didn't even have a boat. But So we take his boat, we go down there, we're out there on the water, we'd catch our lobsters, and then we'd take them back to the house, and we'd grill them, we would boil them, we had lobster every day for dinner. And um, we're out there one day, and we see a storm brewing. It's heading our way, so we're oh, it's it's over there. And then a little while later, you know what that storm's getting closer. And we decide mm, we maybe should be start heading back, and then all of a sudden there was a water spout. And it was huge, and I don't think it was more than well, it looked like it was on top of us, but probably a mile away from us. And it's coming our direction. So we start up the boat, Gary goes boom and it goes bah. And we're looking back and there's the water spout coming and boats are flying by us now. People are pointing. Get in, get in. We're trying to, we're trying to. Finally, Pastor flags down a boat and says, Can you guys help us out? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So Gary grabs a lease, jumps another boat, and off they go. And here's me with me and the rest of his family, and we're (laughs) <laughs> trying to get in. Now, Gary will tell that story totally different. All right. Gary's recollection is going to be something like this. And he'll probably say next week, no, that's not what happened. Here's what happened. I wanted to lighten the load, much like the people on, on, in this story. Jonah, I wanted to lighten the load. I was the biggest person on the boat, so I thought it would be wise for me to get on there so you guys could get in safely. Well, the good news is we all got in safely, right? But I still think." Gary grabbed the lease, got on that boat, and got out of here. Uh, okay, back to the back to the story. Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and he fell asleep, fell into a deep sleep. Now that's kind of weird, too. If you're ever running from the Lord and now you've paid and uh, you're going on a ship in the opposite direction of where you're supposed to be going and you're able to get in that ship and fall asleep, you're really far away from the Lord at this point. Uh, so let's go on. He went below deck, and so the captain went into him and said, How can you fall asleep? Get up and call on your God. At least the captain knew what he needed to do. Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots and find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots, and the lots fell on Jonah. I mean, everything's pointing at that dude down there that was sleeping, right? <clears throat> so they ask him, tell us, what is, what is, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he answered, he said, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Well, this terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told him. I don't know why that's in there. That's going to be one of my questions when I get to heaven. You know, why is that in there? Why did they? Why did you put in the Bible that they already knew, but then they but they ask first? You know, it's kind of like at home. You know, I get that question, but my wife already knows the answer, but she asked me about it anyway. Um, we'll move on. Got more ladies in the audience today than we did in first service. The men thought that was funny cowards <clears throat> so let's see so, so they asked him what do we got to do he says pick me up and throw me into the sea he replied and it will become calm and I know that it's my fault that the great storm has come upon you instead the men did their best to row back to land but they could not for the sea grew even wilder Than before, then they cried out to the Lord, "Please, Lord, do not do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for the killing of an innocent man. For you, the Lord has done as as you, Lord has done. You have done as you please." Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea calmed. At this minute, at, at at this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. What a great story, right? I mean, it's it's got excitement. You you, you can make a movie about this thing. But I want to go back to verse 15. So they took up Jonah, and they cast him into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice unto the Lord, and they made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Okay, a couple things here. I was reading, reading this as a new believer. I was reading my Bible. Many times when we read our Bibles, we kind of say, okay, I'm going to read three chapters tonight, right? <clears throat> I am so glad I didn't stop at chapter one because I would have missed the rest of the story here. For, do you think Jonah was awake those three days and three nights? I do too. I think he was. God was trying to show him a lesson, so why would he be unconscious? Well, here's the thing. I flipped the page on my my Bible. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, Then Jonah prayed. Wait, what? He was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, and then he prayed? That's crazy, right? Shouldn't our first... Step B to pray. So Jonah waited three days, three nights, and then he prayed. I, I, I don't get that. But when you look back at that, he was willing to pay a fare. He was willing to go the opposite direction. That he was able to go to sleep. He was really far from the Lord. And I hope nobody's here like that today. I hope that for those of us that maybe we have a pretty good walk with the Lord right now. That when we, if we see ourselves moving that direction, that prayer will be our first thing. Um, How about a little geography lesson? It says here in verse number 3 that Jonah rose up to flee from Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, and he went down onto it. Go with him into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now that's just ignorant, right? You're going to go, to, oh, God, God doesn't know you're in Tarsus now. Ha ah, ha ha you can't find me, right? That's crazy. That's crazy talk, but that's what happens. Look at this. The mission was, in, it was to the north in Nineveh. Joppa went south, and Tarsus was in the exact opposite direction of this mission. So if you find yourself struggling, check your direction. You may be heading south, right? One last thing on this. Uh, the Lord wants us as followers of Christ. He wants the best for our life. Pastors preached several weeks in a row about having the mind of Christ. Let me tell you, Jonah did not have the mind of Christ. If God gives you a mission, if God gives you a direction to go, we probably ought to go that direction. And I said this in the first service, but I wonder how many people have moved down from up north Trying to get away from something that followed them down here. Maybe it wasn't the location that we were in. Maybe it's the situation that we put ourselves in. Just a thought. All right.
1: That that that's about
0: prayer. Bottom line: we need to know when to pray, and we need to pray quickly. The second point I want to talk about today. This is this is the tough one for me. So I appreciate your prayers. Um, I want to talk a little about being on the potter's wheel. I went to a church after a very difficult time at a, at, a, at a church. And we went on a Sunday morning. And the pastor was preaching from this passage about being on the potter's wheel. And that's exactly where I was. And the pastor ended that service. Well, if you want to hear the rest of the story, you've got to come back tonight because I don't have time to finish the message. Well, we were at that church 20 years (laughs) so I I finally I did get to hear the end of the message let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 18 real quick read a few more here this was the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message so I went to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hand so the potter formed it into another pot shaping it he seemed fit or as he best for him So the potter will use his hands to shake the vessel and remove impurities. When you get on the potter's wheel, difficult times in your life, the Lord takes that clay, he puts it on there, the wheel starts spinning, and he starts applying pressure to our life. And you might have some impurities that he'll pick out of you, right? That's what I had to deal with now. I was dealing with an impurity that was in my life. This happened when I was 15 years old. And I want to talk about that right now. But when the Lord convicts us of sin, he's the potter, we're the clay. It's not a comfortable experience, but something beautiful and useful can come out of it. So, here we go. Uh, Talking a little bit about bitterness. There's two definitions in the Bible. The first one talks about uh, a lack of of sweetness. Uh, it's, it's, It's a sharp... Sharpness of taste, lack of sweetness. You know, like when you bite into a lemon? It's like, Ugh, that's... Yeah, she's making a face over here like she just bit into a lemon. Yeah, exactly, just like that. But it, that's talking about probably fruit or taste. But it is interesting that it says lack of sweetness. Have you ever known a bitter person and they were sweet? <laughs> no. The two don't go together, right? The more bitter they get, the less sweet they get. But the definition I want to talk about today is the second one, anger and disappointment at being treated unfairly, resentment. And I want to talk a little bit about my battle with bitterness, and then we're going to be done. I know I'm picking on the Methodist today. I used to go to Methodist church when I was younger, so it's okay if you're a Methodist or were a Methodist. But my goal is to get you out of here before the Methodists get to all the good restaurants, okay? So, <clears throat> now you're smiling, now you're with me. All right, I like this guy. We're going to get out early today. Quick poll. If you knew that pastor wasn't going to be here, how many of you would not have come today? Oh, good. All right. Second question. If you knew I was speaking, no, no, I don't don't want to know. I don't want to know. All right. So here we go. The the early years of my life were fantastic. Uh, My father had a successful business. I'm from Indiana. Uh, He was a brick mason, had a brick mason company. Uh, He did very well. I was the fifth of five boys. There's 13 years between me and my uh, next brother. Uh, so for some reason, I don't think I was planned. But I'm here, and I'm glad of it. So uh, everything was good. You know, we had a place on the lake up in, in Indiana. I had ponies. I had mini bikes. My parents decided to move down here when I was 12. We moved to Inglewood. I can remember when we got our first four-way stop sign at Dearborn and Indiana Avenue. Not traffic light, stop sign. All right? So it's, I've been here a long time. Um, I used to get, not upset, the pastor says, this is my town. And no, it's not. I was here first. It's my town, right? <laughs> but I know what he means. This is our town. And we're responsible to getting word out to this community and around about the love of Jesus. Is that right? Amen. Okay. Yeah, that's all right. You can clap for that one. That's good. <clears throat> So, that was the early years. Let's move forward to I'm 15 years old. This is the honest truth. I'm standing in church in front of a great group of people, and I wouldn't lie because I could get caught. From the time I was born to when I was 15 years old, I never heard my parents argue. Now, they were probably pretty good at, you know, not doing it in front of me, but I never. I thought I was the bee, you know, like you know, the the TV show. And uh, My life was perfect. And then one night when I was 15 years old, I'm laying in bed. My parents' room is on the other side of the house. And I hear them arguing. And it was loud. The next thing you know, my mom walks into the room. And she says, Mark, get up. Tell your dad goodbye. He's leaving. What just happened here? My dad got in the car and left. The backstory to that is, my father had had an affair, and it wasn't the first time. Uh, my mother apparently had put up with it for years, and then for her, what she said was, I always had a baby at home I had to take care of. Times were different then. She had never worked outside of the home. She worked in the home, raising five boys, you can imagine, right? But she kind of was trapped. She couldn't, she, she didn't see a way out. Until I was 15, and it happened again. Mark, get up. Tell your dad goodbye, he's leaving. So I turned 16. It's a pretty big birthday, right? 16 years old. Um, my mother was working outside of the home now at a place up in Venice. It, it's not there anymore. Bates File, they used to make nail clippers. Working minimum wage. You know, here we, at one point, had money, and now we didn't have money. Um, My mom had never driven. It was really weird because my mom didn't drive, but she always had a new car. And other people would drive us places. But anyway, so you can tell, our life has changed. Turned 16 years old, I can remember telling the lady across the street. Uh, She was an older lady. My mom was working. I was home by myself. I said, hey, it's my birthday, you know. "Oh, Happy birthday, Mark. What are you doing? I said, I don't, I don't think we're doing anything. So about an hour or two later, she came over and she had a birthday cake for me. Yeah, that's a good one, right? Don't, don't do that because I'll start crying. Uh, back to that being sensitive stuff. Uh, my mom did have a plan for the night. She did take me out to dinner and, you know, the keyboard player uh, sang happy birthday to me. I remember that. But the years were really tough. Lorna and I got... Lauren and I went to junior high and high school together. We dated throughout high school. We graduated the same time on June 7th, 1974. And on June 14th, we got married. She was with child. That's the—that's how the Bible play puts it in. I wish I had time. I got, I got time. I'm going to tell this story real quick. Lauren finds out she's, she's 17. She's with child. She calls me up. We weren't going to say anything. We didn't want our mom and dad to find out. Kind of like Jonah, right? Let's do it. Find out sooner or later, right? All of a sudden, she calls me up. She says, Mark, Daddy wants you to come over. Mom and Dad know that I'm going to have a baby. I said, I bet Daddy wants me to come over. I don't think I'm going to come over right now. Let's give him a few days to calm down. She goes, no, Daddy wants you to come over right now. And her daddy had kind of become like my daddy because I hadn't seen my dad for years now, right? So I get in my car, I drive over there, I knock on the door, and I hear her dad in an angry voice, Come in. Oh, no, I don't want to go in. No, I don't want to go in. I open up the door. Her dad is sitting about where you are across the room in his uh, reclining chair with a shotgun pointed at me. And I, ah, and he started out laughing. And I'm telling you, they were the greatest. I mean, I would have killed me if I was him. I would have pulled the trigger, right? They were the greatest people. They loved us. They walked us through what was going to happen in our lives. They helped us the best they could. Um, that had to be hard for them. It was hard for me, I know. All right, so I tell you that because... I invited my dad to come to graduation. He says, "Can I bring my wife? They're married now." I said, "No, I think it would hurt mom too much. I'd rather you not do that." He goes, "Well, then I won't come." So then, like I said, a week later I got married. Hey, Dad, I'm going to be getting married. Um, you think you might come? Can I can I bring Esther? No, Dad. You know, it would hurt mom so much. He goes, "Well, then I'm not coming." And then dad, he didn't meet my wife. And obviously, about six months later, he didn't meet our daughter. And then a couple years later, Jason came along. He never met Jason. And something happened in my life. A friend of mine had come to Christ. We used to party together. He went... Got caught speeding in Georgia. Kind of like, son, you're in a heap of trouble. They put him in jail that night because he couldn't pay the ticket. He remembered a year earlier that he had trusted Christ in the back room of Publix. His boss had led him to the Lord. And that night he rededicated his life the best he knew how. When he got home, the first thing he did was call me his buddy. I said, hey, man, I'm glad you're back. Let's party. He says, I'm not going to do that anymore, Mark. I said, why? He says, I got saved. I said, you got what? He said, I got saved. I asked Christ to forgive me of my sins, and I'm going to live for him now. And I said, George, if that's going to help you, that's great. But don't be bringing that stuff to my house. He says, I can't bring somebody from the church, the guy that led him to the Lord in the back room of Publix, I can't bring him to your house? I said, no, man, don't you bring anybody from a church to my house. About two nights later, (laughs) knock, knock, knock. There's George. There's Alan. George is about the color of your shirt, white as a ghost. I invite him in and for about four hours. I'm talking about spacemen and cavemen and running down everywhere. Well, what about this? What about that? There's no God. What about this? What about that? And after about four hours, I was ready for him to go home. So I said to Alan, I said, tell you, tell you what, Alan, I'll come to church with you Sunday. Because I thought that wouldn't get him to leave, right? That was, that was the objective, right? Get me to church. And he says, Mark, how long have we been here? And I'm thinking, too long? And I said, no, you've been here about four hours. And he says, have I once invited you to church? He said, I didn't come here tonight to invite you to church. I came to invite you to the Savior. And that rocked my world, because I grew up going to church. My parents would take me to church. They didn't go with me. They would take and drop me off, and then they would come and pick me up. So I knew of God, but I didn't know God. And I thought it was all about a works-based relationship. But it wasn't. So I went to that little church and um, went there for about a year. And I kind of thought I was saved because I was, but I was doing good work stuff. I was driving a church bus. I was actually singing in a choir. That's crazy. If you'd had that microphone up, you guys would not be here right now during worship because I was singing. But one night, it kind of came to me, and it came in uh, John chapter three. I call it my "Nick at Night" moment. Yeah, you know, Nickelodeon, you ever seen that channel, Nick at Night? Okay, so it was, th- was kind of like that, but this is a different Nick. This is Nicodemus. In John 3 it says, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, and he came to Jesus at night. I wonder why he came at night. I think it's because he was worried about his other religious friends, what they might think of him. That's, that's just my personal opinion. And he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, For no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, said, Verily, verily, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How many of you have heard that phrase, born again? That's where it came from. It wasn't from some preacher on TV. It was from the scriptures. So Nicodemus, he's confused now, and I'm I'm going to just kind of paraphrase the rest. Nicodemus says, well, wait a minute, Jesus, wait a minute. How can I be born again, I, I, as an old man, how do I go, I can't go back to my mother's womb. And Jesus explained, no, you have a physical birth, and you need to have a spiritual birth. And my spiritual birth took place one night up at Center Road Baptist Church. I'd been there for about a year, I thought I was saved, and now I realized I was counting on my good works to get me to heaven. I thought because I went to the church, because I did this, because I did that. And then I realized that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. That's how you get to heaven. It's not my good works. So I remember going in and telling my pastor, I said, hey, pastor, it wasn't Pastor Gary, it was not first pastor where I went to church. I said, I, I need to get saved. I need to ask Christ to forgive me, and I need to become a follower of Christ. And we went into his little office and there was this ugly old couch. It was brown and yellow and striped. It was ugly. But I've never forgotten that little couch because I knelt there beside that couch and I asked Christ to forgive me of my sins, to come into my life and become my Lord and Savior. See, the Bible says we need to be born again. And it happens one time. You don't become born again and again and again and again. Let's finish this up. I don't think you're going to beat the Methodists now. I'm sorry. Uh, So, 444 Center Road. Remember that number. Because that's where my dad lived. The church where I got saved was on Center Road. I worked in Venice. I drove by my dad's house every day. I went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, men's prayer meeting on Saturday nights, Drove by 444 Center Road. Pastor had preached the message out of Colossians, and, and I'm going to paraphrase this too. Roger, if you want to throw it up there, you can. But basically, it says if you've been forgiven, you've got to forgive others. And who did I think of first? My dad. I couldn't do it, and I went to the pastor. Please tell me there's somewhere else in that Bible that you keep reading that says you. You forgive everybody except for your dad because he committed adultery and abandoned you and your mother. Somewhere it's got to say that, right? He goes, no, Mark, it doesn't. I said, I can't do it. He said, well, here's what you need to do. You need to pray, and you need to ask God to soften your heart, to humble your heart and prepare you for that. So for the next six months, I was praying that prayer. On Saturdays, I would drive by my dad's house, and I'd go to prayer meeting. One Saturday night, I drove by 444 Center Road. I pull into the church parking lot, and nobody else showed up. So I said, so Lord, tonight's the night, huh? So I got in my car, drove to 444 Center Road. I knocked on the door. My dad came to the door. He opens up the thing, and there's a screen door, and he goes, can I help you? He didn't know who I was. That makes a young man feel good. And um, I learned a real valuable lesson there, that things grow in the valley, not on the mountaintops. You know, I love to go to Colorado, and you got there the big mountains. And up top, there's nothing growing. Down in the valley, it's green and lush. You know, and I, I try to remember that analogy by myself, you know. Down in the valley, things grow. <laughs> up on top, ain't a whole lot growing on the mountain anymore, Right? So, I go in and I tell my dad and his wife that I'm there to apologize. I made sure that they understood that I didn't condone the adultery. But my sin of bitterness was just as bad. My dad, you know, a lot of times people don't know how to accept an apology. He didn't know what to say. He said, oh, it's it's all right. It's It's all right. And I took that as he forgave me. All right? Uh, Fast forward a few months, my, my dad came to some Pop Warner football games with my son. He met my wife. He met my kids. Things were better. It wasn't like, you know, the beef again, but it was good. And then one day I get a call from his wife, and she says, Mark, I need to tell you something you can't tell your brothers. Remember, I got four brothers. I said, what is it? Your dad has brain cancer. He doesn't have long to live. She goes, don't tell your dad. I just called you so you would pray for him. Wow. So, two weeks later, I'm driving to my office on Venice. I had an office on the island of Venice. Driving down the road, and I look, and there's my dad standing in a parking lot at an oncology doctor's office. I turn into the parking lot. He sees me. I said, Dad. And he just busted out crying. And I'm hugging him, and, you know, it was, it was it was a nice moment because that wouldn't have happened six months earlier, right? What would have happened is my dad would have died and I would have found out about it later. So we spent more time together those next few months. And then one night I get a call from his, probably 11 30, 12 o'clock at night, I get a call from his wife. She says, Mark, your dad's died. Can you come up here? And, uh, so I get in my car, I drive the 444 Center Road. <clears throat> There's this woman that I hated with every fiber of my being at one point. She's crying, and I'm holding her in my arms, consoling my dad's wife, who's not my mother. And I want to close with this. That wasn't me. That was the grace of God, Working through me, and it never would have happened if I would have held on to that sin of bitterness. We're going to close with that, Raj. I did it without crying. I'm pr- I'm pretty proud of myself. Just a couple points. Bitterness is like a cancer, and it will spread. So if it's in your, if you've got that, get it while it's young. It's kind of like you go to the doctor and say, Hey, you got this little skin cancer here and let's just clip it off and you'll be all right. But if you don't, that that cancer could could kill you. I feel the same way about bitterness. I stay away from it. I don't allow myself to get bitter anymore because I know how hard it was for me to work through that. Um, Number two, forgiving will lift the burden of sin from your life. And the greatest forgiveness comes from God in the form of salvation. Think about that. God sent his son, hung him on the cross, And he says, I love you this much. If he can forgive me for what I did, he can absolutely forgive you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today, and I thank you for these kind folks. Thank you for our pastor, Lord, and his lovely wife. We just ask, Lord, that you would give him a a time of refreshing. We look forward to him being back next week. Lord, there may be one here today that's never trusted you as Lord and Savior. And maybe today is that born-again moment. Maybe you've been holding on to religion or rela- uh, relationships with o- other people. My mama or my grandma was a, was a Christian. We have to be that person that makes the decision, just like Nicodemus. So if that's you today, it's, it, it, it's pretty simple but yet really complex. But the Bible says, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. The Bible talks about repenting of our sins and turning to Christ. So if you want to do that today... Pray a prayer something like this. You've got to mean it, not me. But Lord, I realize that I'm a sinner and I need you to become my Savior. I'm not trusting in any church. I'm not trusting in, in giving. I'm not trusting in being good. I'm trusting only in the fact that you gave your Son to pay for my sins. Forgive me of those sins, Lord, and I today ask you to become my Lord and Savior. And Lord, before we close, maybe there's someone here today that's been struggling with this battle of bitterness. Lord, I pray for them because I know the hurt and the pain and the, how hard it is sometimes to get over it. I ask even now that Holy Spirit of God, that you would give direction and comfort, prepare their hearts for the decisions they need to make. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, it's 5 till. I don't know, if you hurry, you might beat the Methodists, all right? Thank you all so much for coming today. God bless you.